Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Ray Finkel. Laces out, Dan. Let's dim the lights and kick off the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Plumbus. Pick up your regular old household Plumbus today with freshly rubbed flea and shaved grumbo. <laughs> You couldn't even get through it. <laughs> Welcome to the Pestle. I'm Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is the ben show. Confused. Yeah. Perennially. Yeah. <laughs> this is a show where we like to kind of pick apart a movie and dissect it in all the ways as filmmakers and hopefully as, you know, an interesting story that we can actually relate to real life and everyday stuff. But you know what actually more and more I really appreciate about our show? Uh, if I can get, I don't know. <laughs> what do you appreciate about I, what we do better than yeah. everyone else? <laughs> it's we stay on topic. Yeah, man. Like if it's a sixty-minute episode, fifty-nine minutes of those are probably going to be spent talking about the movie that we say we're going to talk about. Yeah, unless we're talking about talking about the movie we say we're going to talk about. That's true. This is that one minute. There you go. <laughs> we're getting it in. <laughs> now we have forty-five seconds of that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I really love that. I really appreciate yeah. that we stay on topic and that no matter what the conversation turns to, we usually we usually tie it right back into the topic at hand. Definitely. We're focused. Yeah. Yeah. No I got fluff. time to yeah, I got time to mess around, man. Just get in here and get <laughs> You're done. You're a busy man. Yeah, let's do it. We both are. Yeah. So that said, guys, uh this week we are doing It Follows. If you have not seen it, pause because uh spoilers galore in this in this sucker. Um as always. Uh it is streaming on Netflix, at mm-hmm. least at the at the time of this uh, at the, of this recording, so you can go go watch it um, tonight and then come back and listen to the rest. Awesome! We're going to talk about a lot of things: uh, cinematography, including creating tension through the choice of lens. Pretty excited about that. Um, we'll also touch on the horror rules of it follows, and probably a lot more. So, a quick synopsis of the film: uh, again, spoilers. Go watch it. And then come back. Uh, a young woman is followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter. Written and directed by David Robert Mitchell, starring Micah Monroe as Jay, Keir Gilchrist, Gilchrist as Paul, Jake Weary as Hugh, and Lily Seepy as Kelly. I used to daydream about being old enough to go on dates. I had this image of myself holding hands with really cute guy driving along some pretty road it's never about going anywhere really it's having some sort of freedom i guess okay you awake you're not gonna believe me and i need you to remember what i'm saying this thing it's gonna follow you Somebody gave it to me, and I passed it to you. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. I'm scared. I need to find him. What did he really do to you? Apparently, he used a fake name to rent a house in the city. This isn't real. I swear to you, this is just some game. Her, it gets me and goes straight down the line. Whoever started it, such. <laughs> uh, I can see why you picked the the trailer rather than an actual scene, just because 
like you kind of have to get the whole, the whole bit of it rather than just here's a, a good scene. You yeah. Know? There's never really a good 60, 90 seconds that encapsulates everything the movie's trying to do. Right. Right. So often there's not a lot of talking. Mm-hmm. It's ambient and there's just kind of diving into your psyche as yeah. much as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when was the first time you actually, did you see this in theater? No. Um, our friend Alyssa told me about it Same. years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think well, three, four years ago, maybe four years ago or so. Yeah. That sounds right. She, she's came into the office and it said, man, you gotta, you gotta see this movie. It's called it follows. It's, it's on Netflix. And so I went home and watched it. It's like, Oh my God, just cause the premise is really interesting. This, this thing is walking towards this guy in order to get it to stop walking towards him. He has to sleep with some sleep with someone. And then it starts walking towards that person. And if it kills that person, it goes back and tries to kill him. So he needs to get whoever he slept with to sleep with a bunch of other people, which is why he tells her in the beginning and shows her this thing is following you. You got to go bang a bunch of people. You know? Yeah. Cause it doesn't pay off to just sleep with someone else and call it a day. Right. Yeah. No, you got it. Cause they'll just die in the boat scene that proved that. Oh yeah. Where she goes out to the boat and then it still fo- ends up following her. Still like, gets yeah. Her. Yeah. It's terrifying. I remember the first, when I watched it the first time, I, well, a little personal, but I just feel like, I feel like it, it, it was, it's trying to say something is what I feel like both times that I've seen it, you know, something about sexual promiscuity maybe, or about the lack of basically like caring about, you know, either losing your virginity or, or just whomever you sleep with, you know, just like about the lightness of, of, of sex, you know, which it's not light at all in any, in any capacity. It usually is not. Um, but people treat it as though it can be, you know, and so I feel like it's trying to say something along those lines, but it's a little gray mm-hmm. in a lot of places. So sometimes I'll think it's trying to say something. Other times I think, no, they're just trying to tell a, like an interesting story. It, it's not really about that, but you know, I don't, I'm not really sure. Yeah, same. I mean, there's the obvious metaphor symbolism at at play here, where there it's a sexual sexually transmitted monster. Yeah, <laughs> it's an STD in monster form, and that definitely comes through. And I think you're absolutely right. They are trying to say something, though there is a certain ambiguity. I can't quite put my finger on it. There's all these little things that I noticed about. Like whenever she loses her virginity afterwards, she's talking, she's having, she's going through all the emotions and thoughts that she used to have about sex and having a boyfriend and being in love and what she's looking at. She's kind of leaning out of the car, right? And she's looking at this flower that's not in bloom and it's growing out of concrete and it feels not like you want to see a flower. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes right back to what you said about there's there's something corroded maybe yeah. that the, if the filmmaker, if we were to look at it through the lens of this movie, that there's something corroded about the way we view sex and the way we take it so lightly instead of yeah. putting it where it belongs in some kind of, like you said, a committed relationship or what have you. I feel like you could definitely draw that kind of analysis of what the film is either wanting to say or the lens at which it's creating this movie. Because like other movies we we've reviewed, sometimes it's not always about, trying to give an actual like moral or a, yeah. or a good message so much as what's an interesting lens to put on in order to create some interesting symbolism that 
is more readily graspable in our psyche, even if we don't know exactly what's at play here. Yeah, I feel like everyone can identify with the idea, even if they don't feel it themselves, Mm -hmm. the idea of the denigration of almost the soul every time you sleep with someone new, like like another person, another person. Um, and you totally felt that with this character, with this character, that every time she did that to pass it on to someone, it was killing her. Not just, I mean, in the movie, not just the sex, but right. the fact that she knows she's killing that person essentially, you know? Yeah, totally. And even the guy, Hugh, the guy that passes it on to her, it's really interesting when they play the, the game at the movie theater, um, she says, oh, yeah, I think you picked that father. And he's like, no, I picked a little boy mm-hmm. because he saw the little boy as a clean slate and someone that he'd love to trade places with because he regrets his choices and wishes for a time of being more pure. And and it's also obviously a, a hint at what's in store for Jay mm-hmm. because she has no idea what's coming her way either. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that the For me, probably like the one of the best like all around scenes in the film Maybe not the best, but one of the best was the movie theater. Yeah. Because you don't know anything really yet, especially if you hadn't seen a trailer. And there's the whole scene of the the girl in, in yellow, yellow yeah. in the back. What girl? You know, like, and you're like, what's happening? And then he gets scared. And he wants to leave. And plus that, by the way, that game is pretty fun game. It is. It seems like it would be a very fun yeah. game for them to play. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I really like it's that effective. scene for a lot I, of reasons. I love the, uh, the kind of red herring that they're creating by... The woman in the yellow dress, that's a very distinct image in our head. And it's like, oh, is there a woman in yellow that's a ghost that's killing everybody? So you're still trying to piece together exactly what people are doing. Because that opening scene, right, it's just this chick who runs out and flees to the beach and winds up dead and and deformed. Which, which by the way, can I just say something really quick? Because, um, and maybe it'll, it'll start your conversation on cinematography. When you're talking especially about horror films the opening and closing shots of the movie are everything. Yeah. Everything in between should be either a continuation of the idea set up by the, by the opening shot or a setup for the closing shot. Right. Mm-hmm. And those two things are the only things that really matter because it sets up everything you're going to see. And it leaves you at the end with the feeling you're going to take with you. And this movie is, does it, in such an eloquent yet freaky way. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Both of them are, are almost like they're in the same neighborhood, probably on the same damn street, wow. but they're, they still like leave you a little breath, a little, you know, like yeah. what, 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 what's um, going to happen next? Yeah. That whole, and, and it, it kind of gives you a inkling of what you're going to get throughout the film at the beginning. You get this huge, long one take uh, tracking shot. It goes in a 180 and she drives away or a 360, 360. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, and then, and she drives away. Uh, so you don't have a first cut for, I don't know, three, four minutes, four, four or five minutes. I don't know. Like a while. Felt like ages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you don't know what's happening, right? She's just running from nothing. Yeah. And then, and then the end they're walking towards camera and you see someone in the distance, but you don't know, you know, if that's the thing or, or what, and then camera turns around and they're walking away from camera and you're thinking, turn, turn the damn camera around. I want to see if that thing is walking towards them. And then they cut and she's just like, Oh my God. Oh, what happened? It's, it's perfect. It's so well done. Absolutely. The, 
whenever I saw this in theater, for the same reason Alyssa had said, you know, you got to see this movie. She knows me well enough to know I love horror movies. And on her word alone, I had another buddy, Binov, that was like, yeah, uh, have you heard of this movie? It follows. And I was like, okay. If Alyssa's recommending it and my buddies, I'm, I'm in. I was really busy, but I found time. And it was the weirdest, one of the weirdest movie experiences. Uh, because for one, I can usually watch a horror movie and even if it's getting to me, I'm like still within myself. I was literally like crawling out of my seat on the edge, losing my mind in a movie theater. And the crazier, the weirder part about it was I looked over and this guy like two seats from me was looking at me too. We're both like, what the F is going on? Oh, wow. Like, you had a connection with a stranger? Yeah. In yeah. <laughs> wow. And it was just such a weird, because this is also the Alamo Draft House. There's no talking. There's none of that. But for whatever reason, we were both just having this crazy experience. And so the lights go up and I hear this guy talking to his friends. He came with a small group of people and they start asking like, what camera was that? And I was like, and I just chimed in. I don't do this. I don't do this with anybody, but I chimed in. I was like, it looked like a Panasonic, like GH five or something. And one of the women there was like, yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Someone else was like, no, it was the Alexa. I was like, whoa, there's no way. So I pulled it up on IMDb. And it was an Alexa, and they were like, which which lenses? And I was like, were they the Cook? And I was like, yeah, the S4s. And I was like, who are y'all? <laughs> <laughs> uh, y'all and they, they kind of had that same look on their face, like, who, who are you? I was like, yeah, I'm a filmmaker in town. Oh, yeah, I'm a DP, and this is a director. And so we all hung out, like, outside of the theater for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes just kind of talking about the movie and filmmaking cool. and projects they were working on, exchange info. It was just kind of this weird... I never run into filmmakers out of theater, let alone at a random months after this thing's been out and then hang out and talk with strangers. Like I don't, that's not me. I, I get in, I get the hell out after yeah. a movie, yeah. but it stayed with me. It was just one of those things. Like I need to talk to somebody right now. Yeah. yeah. And there's just so many brilliant little things they're doing throughout the film. Um, and I'll try to touch on some of these for sure. But I want to start by talking about creating tension through the choice of lenses. This was just really smart. They use a lot of wide-angle lenses. And a wide-angle lens means you have a wider field of view. And what's interesting about that is it keeps more of the background in view and more readable through a perceived deeper depth of field. So things in the back that normally might be blurry are suddenly easier to see and less blurry. Because even if you're at the same f-stop or t-stop, like... An F2 on a wide-angle lens isn't going to have as blurry of a background as an F2 on a 50-millimeter lens. Suddenly, on that 50, everything looks much, much shallower and blurry. And it's like, what's going on back there? But I think the reason they do this is for a number of reasons. For one, that wide-angle lens with all this information is kind of overloading us as we're looking for the monster. So it's raising the tension like almost like a Where's Waldo kind of scenario where you're like, where is it right now? There's so much to look at and I can't quite take it all in just yet it's interesting because the inverse is true as well a longer lens reduces the information of our environment because it has a narrow field of view we can see less it has a shallower depth of field which further restricts our understanding of the environment because everything is more blurry in the back uh, thus creating tension also through ambiguity so it's two sides of the same coin. Like one is giving you too much information and creating tension that way. And if they were to use these longer lenses, you suddenly don't know what's going on 
outside of your field of view and that creates tension as well but here we largely go with the wider field of view to overwhelm us with all this visual data instead of making us wonder what we're not seeing and the wider angle can also make us feel more trapped this is one thing that really surprised me uh, like when she's in the hallway and in her house and the monsters in the kitchen it's coming at her but those angles of her in the hallway suddenly feel like the walls are right on top of us and it's boxing us in and making us feel like there's nowhere to escape it was this weird kind of claustrophobia through the use of these really wide lenses and this wide wider aspect ratio that's crazy yeah that that was like one of these little light bulb moments of just i think brilliance But to your point about the Wonners, they have these really great long takes. And that opening shot, exactly like you said, is really, really important for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's a long, slow, creeping, wide shot of a girl running from seemingly nothing. (laughs) What a great use of a monster to not have it in there. (laughs) So good. And then... Which one you don't have any CG budget. Yeah. Like, okay. Right. Because if they did, maybe they like put steps on the grass or something. I don't know. But this was the perfect way to do it because it's for one, it sets us into the pacing of the film, right? It's a slow movie. It's not in a rush and they're getting us used to the visual language and through the expectation of we're going to take our time through this. This isn't like a bunch of Michael Bay cuts where you don't really know what's happening and suddenly there's blood. <laughs> yeah. It's right. You're going to know exactly what's coming at you yeah. and we're not going to let you get away from it. We're not going to cut away. It's important to let you see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we cut from that wide, that long shot. Like you said, it could have been several minutes. If it was 90 seconds, it was five minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. It just, you stay in there so long and then it cuts to her driving and then at the beach and then it's her on the sand. And I love the shot of her on the sitting on the beach because there's this moonlight, quote unquote, uh-huh. glinting off the ocean in the back. There's no way that's actual moonlight, by the way. <laughs> the light off the ocean helps orient us, though. It gives us her location and adds depth and dimension to the shot. So it's, it's doing a lot for such a simple thing. But oddly... They probably went through a lot of trouble to add that light to the shot. They probably, who knows? I mean, I don't know where that shot came from, but it was probably a really strong light. Yeah. Strong lights are usually really big. (laughs) And so if they shot it from the beach, I can't, I have no idea what that would require, but I kind of imagine them being out more on the ocean and setting up a light out there. But it's important. Yeah. Uh, it's better not only as a visual interest thing, but also adds that she's trapped. Whereas a pure black background, if they didn't set that light up, not only is it not visually interesting and flat, but it gives the illusion of she has somewhere to run. Yeah. But if you show us there's ocean and there's her and there's this driveway, that's it. She's got nowhere to go. And suddenly, you know, you cut to her being dead and it's like, yeah, she kind of ran out of room maybe it was just bad decision on her part but to to go there in the first place but she was she giving up yeah 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 and so later on we cut after the movie theater and we're at the restaurant on their first date there's this interesting framing thing they do they keep doing these really long takes and she's sitting the frame is really interesting because we're centered on Jay. She's at her table talking, having this great conversation. Hugh's kind of on the edge. Of, I can't even remember if he's fully in the frame or not, but she leans forward to sip her drink 
and we rack focus behind her to the person that's walking. And suddenly we, we realize, Oh, there's something amiss here. And then she like leans back up into the shot and it's like, something's coming for her. In that particular instance, they lined it up so that it is coming for her, but that's more of a foreshadowing thing. But they sync that shot up so that the monster would occupy our line of sight once she moved out of the out of the field of view. So they were directing our view using her to point out the thing that's small and tiny in the background. That's hard to do. Yeah. Whenever you're trying to point out something significant, normally you put it large in the frame. But these filmmakers are trying to give us that sense of creeping, foreboding. There's something that's just out of our sight that it's coming for us. And so you have to really pull out every trick to make sure we notice those things. And in this case, they used the framing and her to trigger us to make sure we pay attention to this thing in the this tiny blurred out thing in the background. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was really smart on their part. Love it. They are also constantly tuning us into the visual language of the film and the pace of the story by persistently using these slow takes. It's not just the opening scene. It's not, not just here and there. They're doing these things because it's also emulating how the monster approaches. It's slow and it's methodical. And so use that same visual language of the film to give us some empathy with the characters because there's no turning away from it. There's no escaping. Everything is slowly happening to you. It's this, it's brutal. Like to not be able to run away far enough. Yeah. (laughs) It's just going to get there. It just isn't going to happen fast. But how does it, how would it get there if you went into the middle of the ocean? Maybe we get on a boat. Maybe. Yeah. It's patient. So yeah, and it's, maybe boards a plane. I don't know, <laughs> but it's smart enough yeah. to like break a window. Yeah, he, the guy says it's it's slow, but it's not dumb. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is what he says, and we'll get to that here in a, a couple minutes. Cool, because there's a really cool thing about that. I think they're doing with that. Fast forward just after that scene to the wheelchair shot where she's strapped down, and I love this from a cinematography stand, standpoint. Whenever he's explaining the rules to her, yada yada. And then he pushes her to the edge to see the monster. When he does that, they pass under this darkness. Like mm-hmm. there's lights in the in the space and they pass between one where it's nothing but shadow. But they lit the background so that you don't just completely lose them. Now you can't make out their features, but they're silhouetted against the background because they lit it. And that helps keep us oriented and adds dimension to the shot and the location just by walking through shadow. And it ensures us, you know, that we can still orient ourselves and what's happening in the scene. And every edit or jump to a new scene disorients us with how long time has lapsed. Um, and it increases the tension of how close the monster could be because suddenly we don't really have a gauge on how far away it could be. Like whenever he dumps her out in front of her house and then we cut to the cops and it's like, how long has that been? How far were they? How close could the monster be? And suddenly, it could be around the corner at any given point. Yeah. And you introduce this this tension just by in, introducing an edit, just mm-hmm. by cutting yeah. and doing some tiny time lapse. Uh, it's a really interesting use of editing. So yeah, you can, you can create the tension by showing that it's coming and cutting away or just by showing nothing for a long time. For a long time. Like when time. she runs away to the park, Mm-hmm. And she's sitting there and it just shows her 
and you're thinking, this thing is going to walk up behind you. Look, what are, you, what are you doing? Look, turn around or something. You're just <laughs> expecting it to come, but you never see it. Well, yeah, I think. And so I thought about that. And I think what she was doing was I last saw it over there by the house. So. Oh, no. Yeah. It keeps a straight line. But if it was smart, really smart. Yeah. Circle around. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, at that point, you don't know the rules. That's true. That's and I don't point. even know if that is a rule, but it's not that it's going to walk from where it came, where a, you came from in a straight line. But. Um, which, I mean, that would make sense, yeah. you know, but I'm sitting there watching, thinking normal horror, this yeah. thing is going to come up behind you, <laughs> but come on. And the monster is often walking directly to us, uh, the viewer from mm-hmm. a, you know, framing point of view. I love that they do that because it makes us feel under attack and more closely empathizing with Jay's uh, situation. And also shows us where the monster is. I love this. They show us where it is, and then we cut away. And it's creating this tension of, cut back to it. Where is it? Where is it now? Like when they're at the beach, right? And we see it come approaching, and then suddenly we're cutting away to the dude peeing in, in the woods and mm-hmm. the ocean. And we're just waiting for it, for us to cut back. And then when we cut back, it doesn't show it. Instead, it just shows their perspective from the beach of her hair just raises up. <laughs> what's going on oh, and dude. so we're constantly waiting for new information yeah and driving down that long tree grove driveway i thought this was a really interesting thing um whenever they arrive at the beach house i guess uh where was it that she was going but i, th- I think that's the scene where they're driving up to the beach house and there's this really long i don't know tree grove it's like this driveway lined with all these trees it's a really mm-hmm. wide shot but it seems a little visually representative of sex. Like there's a tunnel and there's mm-hmm. a penetrating device. It was just kind of, I feel like if I were to watch this film a couple more times, I would find all these shots that are like implying kind of the subtext of the film itself about sex and yeah. the conversation we were having earlier. But going to that final shot that you mentioned earlier, I thought this was interesting because Everything in the scene is really subdued and like saturation and contrast, but the uh, the maybe monster, as we'll call it, it pops. And I think they either put a spotlight on it to to give him more saturation and, and brightness, or more likely they graded him brighter in post to make him stand out more and draw our attention because it's really small in the in the frame and and insignificant. But they want to make sure that we notice there's this thing that's got a nice pace to it that seems to just be walking towards our characters and towards us more specifically or less specifically. (laughs) Yeah. But that was just a really going back to, you know, the restaurant scene. They're trying to pull out every trick. Like, how can we make sure the audience notices this thing? We're already pretty much looking for it. But they also want to make sure they aid us in in the war, the Waldo search. Yeah. Oh, if we make him pop a little bit more off the screen, that'll that'll make sure that they we start asking those questions you were saying, like, yeah. Oh, oh no, come back, come back, come back. <laughs> or by separating a little bit. So like her in the classroom when the the old lady is walking towards her, you know, you notice they're they're you know like there's a couple kids sitting on the grass over here. There's some kids over here on this side, but there's some areas. Like when you first see her, there's like a big a patch of grass where she where she is, where there's nobody really around her, right? She's almost like out of place. 
mm-hmm. and there's walkways and she's not on the walkways. She's in the grass walking towards you. And yeah, exactly. And I think they save, I didn't study it for this, but I assume they save a lot of that forward back motion for the monster itself. And they use all the other extras and background action mm-hmm. to go side to side. Yes. Yes. So that we always can pick out the thing that's walking towards yeah, us. They give you a directional. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Something to cue off of a lot easier. And so diving into the rules, horror rules are always really important. And it's one of those things you shouldn't get away from too far. And if you, if you're smart, usually if the smarter way to go, not always, but the smarter way to go is usually to introduce those rules early on so that we know when a character is violating those rules and where the stakes are. And they have just this very hardcore expositional moment with Hugh and Jay, and he's got her tied up. And he's like, I'm going to explain the rules to you right now. But it's so it's delivered so well because we're we're confused and we're kind of aching to have have these rules. And that was the other smart thing I think they did was they obscured all the rules for as long as they possibly could to make us ask those questions. What is happening right now? Please just tell me. And yeah. then they do, and we're like eating it up, and it doesn't feel as expositiony and and derived at that point because we want it so badly. And so he just tells her point blank, this thing follows you. Someone gave it to me and now I'm passed it to you. And it passes through sexual intercourse. It can look like anyone, someone, you know, or stranger, whatever helps it get close to you. There's only one of it. Sometimes it looks like people you love. And he says, I think it does that just to hurt you, which is a really interesting tidbit. And well, her father, her father at the end, throwing the things that are in the pool. That's her father. Oh, that's right. Good. I forgot about that. Yeah. Nicely done. That's interesting for him. I'll come back to that in a second. I love too that she kind of tests the rules a little bit. Like she sees the old woman in the hallway in her nightgown and she's like, she tries to talk to her and obviously no one else notices the woman. But the cool thing about this, about the rules is sex now becomes a weapon. And to have sex with someone is to mark them for death. And so now you're choosing who to have sex with, not necessarily out of sense of love or maybe as an inverted sense of love. Like, I love this person more, so I'm not going to have sex with them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to endanger them. Instead, yeah, I don't mind if you die, Greg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll test that out. And the other interesting rule that they, they establish, not until later at the beach, is that other people can touch it and it can touch them as well. It's not as interested in touching them, but to defend itself, it will. And that becomes very significant for the rest of the film. Like, Oh, well, if they can touch it, you can actually like affect it. You can hurt it or you can try, but you're also putting yourself in peril by doing so to go into a little bit of the, more of the story stuff in the living room. So, this goes back into the whole sex as a metaphor and what are they trying to get into? I don't really know if someone wants to take a more educated crack at it and damn you. If you link me to someone else's article, I want your thoughts. I want your original thoughts. Like I don't want you researching other everyone else's thoughts. I can do that. (laughs) That's not as fun, but in the living room with Paul, they're having this talk about their first kiss and how they got this sex talk after that. And right after they say that, after getting the sex talk, the window breaks. And 
that feels like a clue. I don't know exactly where they're going, you know, with precision, but it's really interesting. I love, by the way, that after she passes it to Greg, we kind of start following him for a while. And it's definitely getting very, very, very obviously like you've slept with everyone else who they've slept with. Whoever you slept with, you slept with all their partners too. It's definitely getting on that topic somehow, some way. Uh, well, obviously, but still drilling down. I'm not sure. Um, but going back to her dad, the parents are fairly absent. Very. Throughout the whole film, right? Yes, yes. We kind of see that first girl's dad. I mean, he's so far away from the camera, we don't really get a look at him. Yeah. And he's trying to be concerned, and she's not responding to him. And she dies. But Jay's mom, we see her kind of twice. The first time we don't really see her, we see that she's passed out from wine and cigarettes. (laughs) And beyond that, the only other time we see a parent is when Jay's mom at the end is like massaging her back in this creepy monster, like slow methodical way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And then to your point, we see her dad. The only presence is in the form of the monster and similar. And we, we see Greg's mom. Yeah. We see Greg's mom also take the form of the monster as it's humping his brains out. Mm-hmm. Like it seems that, that it sexes you to death. Um, like, sex will be the death of you might be the most succinct way of putting it. Yeah. And I would argue, I mean, I just, I really feel like both times I've seen this, it's not about STDs. Mm. It's not about, you know, those terrible people that found out they got AIDS. And so they slept with people to give, to give AIDS to. It's not that it's just in general, just, you know, like thoughtless sex degrades you as a human being or as a an individual or at like your your soul essentially like the more you give it away you know the less you continue to take with you right it it just you know what i'm saying like yeah, yeah. that's what i that's both times what i've felt about it i i totally get the argument that it could be that it's std and it that works too it definitely does but the, the feeling I get is more about just sex in general with, with like a bunch of people. I don't think it's arguing for, you know, abstinence until marriage necessarily. But I mm-hmm. think it's like, it's like maybe if it's anything, a call to pick who you do this with a little, with a little bit more, you know, um, urgency, like it's important. It's not just go out and, you know, bang everybody, you know, like save it. You know, you're you're worth more than that. Yeah, I, yeah. To your point, like I think the the phrase that they had in mind might be something along the lines of uh, "Who you sleep with, your sexual history will haunt you." Yes, a hundred percent. And the, the thing, you know, I said earlier is a little personal. It's like I I knew before I got married anybody who I was with when I knew it wasn't right. I knew I was going to regret it. Not then, yeah, yeah. But later on, when I found the person mm. that I was going to be with, like, oh, why did I do that? Like that, you know, it just gave a little bit away, and I didn't need to. It was just an experimental, whatever, yeah. you know. And it wasn't like, and and I've even talked to my wife about it and about how I felt like that, and I still feel like that. And it doesn't necessarily haunt me, but I do carry it with me, mm. you know, and. It's it's nothing like the, the intensity of this film, yeah. at least not for me, but I can definitely imagine for some people, you know, that it is. 
So anyway, that's that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, because it's also interesting that they, in order to try to kill the monster, they go to where she first killed, uh, kissed Paul. Mm-hmm. That was her first kiss. Yeah, it started. And yeah, let's go back to the beginning of my sexual awakening mm-hmm. and see if we can kill this thing there. But you can't. I don't think you can. If you this can't thing, undo things. Yeah, if this exactly. You can't undo it. And once you've opened that Pandora's box, it's forever open. Yeah. Um, and obviously, diving further into some of the symbolism, the monster's often naked or in nightwear. Mm-hmm. It's very rarely in normal clothes. The closest it gets is the the tall guy's like t-shirt yeah. <laughs> and yeah. shorts, which mm-hmm. is still kind of nightwear um, in, in a sense. But that pool scene, I thought the monster was really clever. And I love a clever monster or a clever bad guy, as you've heard me countless times say. Because at the pool, instead of getting in, it uses their weapons against her. Yeah. Suddenly he's like, oh, okay, thanks, guys. <laughs> I will use this and yeah. starts pegging her with like the iron and Dude. everything. It nails her with that iron. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but I just thought that was such a smart moment and harkens back to any well-laid plan can't go according to plan unless we just don't know the full details. Um, and in that case, we did. And they had to get smarter or just more effort out of it than yeah. than it could give. But ultimately it wasn't smart enough. But it was interesting because normally in when you have in like, you know, scary movies like this, there's the how the heck do they beat this thing? There's no way to beat it. I have an idea. And then it works. Right? Yep. And this <laughs> totally did not work. Which is so great. It just took so it took some of the I wouldn't call it a, that a rule but it took some of the obvious things that you expect to, to happen in a horror film, you know, undid them essentially. Yeah. You know, like that. And yeah. that's, I mean, you know, there are the Friday the 13th where oh, sure. all of a sudden yeah, yeah. like he's, he's still alive. <laughs> Sorry to give that away. Right. Um, after 15, after 15 of, those. of them. Yeah. You know that. Um, well, the interesting thing I'm thinking about too, going back to the whole sex, sex thing is, Trying to figure out what all where all the symbolism is, the pool is what it's afraid of. Like it won't get into the water willingly. Once it's in there, it's going to war, but it's not trying to get into the water. And that's kind of a sign of purity. And maybe by contrast, if you think back to where she lost her actual virg- virginity, and she's looking at the flower and the the concrete, the rough the rough ground instead of the fertile soil. There's something in there. <laughs> <laughs> it follows episode two. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting thing, too. I went to this workshop like two years ago for Sundance came through town, like some of their speakers, and they were doing this filmmaker's workshop. And it was cool. But I met another filmmaker who went the year before me, and he was like, some of the, the producers and the team from It Follows was there. And they brought in like maybe their distributor or someone that was on the other side of uh, distribution. And it kind of turned into this battle because the filmmakers were so upset. They made a hit film and they were like, we got nothing. They didn't make hardly any money off of this what? Is, the, is the message I got of it. I haven't got to see or hear the exact conversation that was had, but that was kind of the message that I got out of it. Oh. And 
they were trying to figure out why they got like shammed out of proper earnings for making a hit film. And so in my imaginary world, I hope to make at some point like a follow up to this where we can maybe bring in uh, the filmmakers or the production team to, to discuss like what happened with distro and yeah. what they would do differently or what, what went wrong, what their story is, what their side of uh, the story is. Oh man, I'd love to hear that. God, absolutely. Let's, I'd love to talk to them. Same. Yeah. I'll reach out. Okay. And maybe <laughs> we'll see. Maybe someone will actually read we'll one see. of my emails for a change. Yeah. <laughs> so what overall would you give it? I would give this, in all honesty, oof, I'm between a nine and a ten. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm leaning towards a ten. I yeah, you know what? I got to give it a ten. I think the writing is excellent. I think the performances are great, but it's the dedication to picking your visual language and saying, "Yeah, this isn't going to win," you know, any beauty contest because it's not supposed to be a beautiful film. But in that way, it's an effective storytelling mechanism that they just invest themselves wholeheartedly into. And it's so wildly effective that I feel like it served its purpose. So, yeah, 10. Yeah. 10, 10. For awesome. Me. I'd give it a nine, a solid nine. I, I wasn't completely sold on all the performances. I feel like there were some... There were some moments I was taken out of it just on the performance side, but I feel like the cinematography was was fantastic. The the thought going into every shot uh, and the whole movie as as a the movie as a whole mm-hmm. was like well thought out. And I mean the i the the plot was just so good, just so good. It was entertaining. I was on the edge of my seat. You know, I don't want the 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 single point notch on the performances to, to mean that I didn't think that everybody did a great job. I really do. It was just, you know, they were all kids mm-hmm. and they'll probably get better. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. is, is all how, you know what, maybe out of everybody, I feel like the, the first boyfriend that gave it to the girl. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, Hugh? I, yeah. Hugh. I thought, I thought he probably did the best out of everybody. He was great. Performance wise. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was just easier cause he was so freaked out, and, you know, and everybody else had more nuanced roles, you know? Yeah. I love the scene when they're sitting around in the yard yeah. and he keeps looking at the soccer player Yeah, and he's, he's freaking her out he's, and he waits until the last minute. Chelsea, yeah. God, that's a great moment. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, a solid nine, man. It's really, nice. really good. I'm glad we did this one again. Same, same. Yeah. That said, what's your reco for the week? Um, you know what? So I'm going to recommend a YouTube channel that Ooh. I've been, which has zero to do with what we're watching <laughs> with, with it follows. I've been over the last couple months, I wake up pretty early a lot of times, not as much as I used to, but like a lot of times to do workouts and stuff. And so I'll throw on a, just a, a single YouTube video that I watch before I go, you know, just to kind of wake up before I go work out. And I've lately been throwing on, um, the PBS space time channel, which it, I mean, they got, it's like really high end science math shit. That's just like, yeah, it's like up there. If you're a brainy person, it, they don't dumb it down for you. Like, you know, I mean, it's a lot of fun. The guy that delivers it is really soft spoken. So he's a scientist. And I mean, some episodes they'll, you know, they're talking about, you know, stuff that you can totally understand and follow. And other episodes, they go into all these like 
things that I had never heard of before and, and just, yeah. So if you can dive deep, if you want, or you can stay shallow, but it's like all about space, which I, you know, am a sucker for. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. That's a great one. And the link I assume is just youtube.com slash PBS space time. It's uh, just serve search space time, YouTube okay. and it comes up. We'll link it in the show time. notes for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to recommend a Netflix show. I think it's a Netflix show. It's on Netflix regardless called atypical. Oh, I've been meaning to watch it. And is it good? What's funny is or no. They just released the second season. Uh-huh. And so I started watching that yesterday. And then I just watched it follows. And I I did not even remotely right realize that the same guy that plays Paul and it follows. Oh yes, is it's atypical. Yeah. I knew I knew him somewhere. <laughs> A hundred percent. But it was funny to watch both in like the same day and not make that. Once again, like I had facial blindness. You didn't make that connection while you're watching? At all. I was doing the show notes earlier you're today amazing. and I was like, <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. That's, I don't know if that's a curse or a talent. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I was like, have I seen that guy before? <laughs> What else has he done? For those of you who are just now tuning in or have never heard of our podcast before, uh, Wes has something that is, it's an actual thing called facial blindness. And where like, if I grew a beard, I'm, I'm like one of his best friends. I've known him for 10 years. If I grew a beard, he would not recognize me walking down the street. That's, that's what, and, and it's legit. It's like, that's so straight true. up. You know? Oh my God. Yeah. And so, but he plays such a good, the atypical is about this family. The the guy that plays Paul um, is the main character, and he has uh, autism. And I've got such a fascination with with the AS ADS autism spectrum disorder ASD, and I just find people very very fascinating and what they have to deal with, and you know some of the things that make them more special and more honest, and the way they see the world. All of it is just really really interesting to me. So I tend to gravitate towards shows that have an autistic character uh, because I think it's kind of beautiful, honestly. And so, yeah, I think this is a really, it's a simple, it's not a crazy show and it's probably not going to like blow your hair back, but I think there's some really lovely performances and nuances. Jennifer Jason Lee is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so I'll check it out. Atypical. Awesome. Cool. So, so listen guys, we can't keep doing this if we don't hear from you, if we don't get your reviews, if we don't, you know, give us recommendations on what, what to do next week. So please subscribe and review us on iTunes. Leave us a note saying what you'd like us to talk about and all kinds of that interesting stuff. Um, and what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to cover Spotlight. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Awesome. The 2015 Best Picture mm-hmm. winner. Yeah. Looking forward to that. It's going to be great. So join in next week when we when we do Spotlight. Uh, you can leave us a note at thepestlepodcast.com slash it follows. Nice. Yeah. You want to do the quote? Sure. So today's quote of the day comes from Dr. Ruth. Of course. <laughs> Who else? And she said, ladies, you sold 200 boxes of Girl Scout cookies as a kid, and now you can't sell your man on wearing a condom? Come on. <laughs> She's so eloquent. Funny. Eloquent. <laughs> I just got a really good kick out of that. And obviously the, um, the idea of sexual promiscuity is well at play. Yeah, in this for episode. sure. Yeah. So wrap it up. <laughs> uh, yeah. And with that, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. <laughs>
wrap it up. 